0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. I'm Christina Suzama, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as we venture through the, uh, I love it, the galaxy, the universe of um, intuitive healing and guidance. Today I have a very special guest with me. Uh, he spoke at our virtual conferences in the second and third year, this last year, and um, with his wonderful partner. Julie Dittmar, uh, and they've brought such an ease and peacefulness to all the participants who have uh, attended their sessions. So now, with YHTV, I'd like to take a moment to get to know this individual just a little bit further and talk about him. And so, when he's not in the teaching realm, but uh, in a realm of being present with us. I'd like you all to meet Matt Kahn. Hello, Matt. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's so great to see you in person. I, I mean <laughs> I mean so many of our speakers, we only hear them, and now we get to see you, and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, You know how sometimes the the voice and the image, you know, you hear someone's voice and you sort of build a certain image of them, even though you've seen pictures, etc. But when it's moving and we're actually seeing you sort of, you know, more, though it's two-dimensional still, there's a little bit of three-dimension in there. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Right? It's great to see, you know, the the glow in your eyes and it's fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: Wow, again, it's an honor to be here, and it's such fun just to dialogue and to, to connect and to share.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, so, Matt, uh, why don't we start with um, you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be where you're at, at today.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> oh, geez. So, for me, spirituality has been a lifelong journey. It's been a lifelong desire. <clears throat> From an early age, I remember the only two questions I had, that came coming up for some reason was what is real and where is God? That was really, I was really interested in that kept really calling me on a very deep level.
0: And how uh, old were you at that time?
1: Oh, geez, I don't know. Maybe eight, 10, if I can, I mean, I'll remember the exact date, but like eight or 10, I remember just always being interested when I would hear about, uh, intuitive abilities or at that time, I think they called it ESP and, uh, angels and life after death, all that paranormal stuff for me, my whole life is really what, what captured my attention and i re- i remember just always being interested in and in, and just there was a sense of a beyond the beyond and that was always what felt most comfortable to me and at the same time i was you know trying to get along in this world and from a very early age i didn't know this until later looking back but from a very early age being an empath i could feel what was going on in the bodies of others around me, but my misunderstanding was that I thought that what I was feeling in their bodies was what they thought about me.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So I spent my whole life trying to solve everyone's problems when I was a kid, uh, doing sessions at that time probably, and to to change how they felt so that I could feel as if I was approved of and I was misunderstanding their relationship with life or their family with their disapproval of me.
0: Wow, that's very yeah. interesting.
1: It was very intense, very intense.
0: Must have been. Now, were you an only child?
1: I have a sister, and she is about 10 years older than I was, or I am. And, uh, you know, we're very different in many respects. She's wonderful. She's a a parent and has, you know, three amazing children. You know, I have two nephews and one niece, and they're just wonderful and growing into their own, you know, adults. And uh, she, she's just such a exuberant exciting person and you know my whole life i've always been a very introspective philosophical as a child that came that was very you know i was a very intense child <laughs> i was hyper aware of energy didn't know what that was and i was so intense and um when i was a kid for example i'd go to a playground and i would have fun in my imagination and then when other kids would come around they would they would almost play to too loudly or would there be too much energy so i'd have to leave when they show up and i would just prefer hanging out uh with adults and talking with adults when i was a kid and so i w- it was very i was very intense because i was very hyper aware when i was a kid and um you know my sister and i've always had a wonderful relationship even though we are you know two very different expressions but she's uh she's a wonderful mother and a wonderful person
0: uh, so were you a planned child or or same parents right you and your sister
1: the universe definitely planned it. Uh, but
0: <laughs> no well you know what they say is that you planned it.
1: <laughs> they say that. They, they say that do. I they say that I planned it although you know I'll be honest I, I I'm still looking for those plans. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Forget
0: but um it. I, 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 I know but, you burned them somewhere along the way.
1: <laughs> that's how you start to have really that's how you have to start to have a lot of fun mm-hmm. is when you kind of get get uh, lose the map but I, I, For all intents and purposes, um, I don't really know if I was planned, although I can tell you from my life, I've been welcomed. And, you know, growing up in a family that have been very open, my parents in the 70s were very, were introduced into a large, uh, a wide range of spiritual experiences. And so they're very open Uh, to what my experiences were. They were always validating my experiences and listening. And even the out-of-body experience I had when I was eight, where I, found myself in what I call a heaven realm. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had left my body until I fell back in my body. And then that was the moment where I started to feel and perceive guides around me. And I told my dad about this experience, and he actually had almost the same experience uh, act for act 30 years before I did. Wow. So that didn't really tell me anything necessarily, even to this day. It just let me know that there's just a bigger orchestrated plan. And so from that moment on, I was very sensitive to the directions I was being pulled. And from that point on, I, 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 my life was dedicated to just following that call. Well, of course, growing up and being a child, being a teenager, um, developing some structure of ego, mm-hmm. because at, at that point, once you create a structure of ego, it creates the cocoon that you will eventually wake up out of. So, mm-hmm. um, which then became my own learning curve to teach me about the structure of ego that I use my intuition to help other people through that journey of awakening. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a very interesting journey of very large amounts of paranormal uh, transcendent experiences at the same time, having every experience every human being has while here and then bringing those two together for the benefit of all who are going through this journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Now, you know, we, we hear about people going through um, out-of-body experiences. What, yeah. what exactly do you remember Mm-hmm. the 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 moment of that and the sensations that you went through can you share that with us
1: sure when i was 8 i went to sleep like any other night and i felt like i was all of a sudden in a garden and i thought i was dreaming and i was in a garden where the colors were so bright and vivid it, it was a color scheme that was so bright and vibrant. It was, abs- it was like the colors were bursting with love. I can only describe that. It was like seeing colors that were somehow overflowing and, and transmitting this hue of love. And at that time, I remember thinking to myself, I've never felt this amount of love at once. And what was interesting was when I grew up as a child in the 80s, the whole campaign was don't talk to strangers, don't get lost, because, you know, there was uh, that, that that problem happening. In our society – and I remember the first thought I had when I was in the garden is I thought I should be scared because I don't know where I am, but I'm not. It was the most secure I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I started walking through this garden with this – overflowing with this brightness of love. And I and I found myself walking through a field of waist-high flowers. And as I was walking through the field, I could feel my body trying to move through this thick field of, of waist-high flowers – or that for me, that was waist high. And then at the same time, I noticed that was actually hovering above them. So I had the simultaneous experience of walking through something Mm -hmm. and hovering above it. And I remember not knowing what that was, but the love was so intense that it it just seemed natural. Mm. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, okay. And then in front of me, about 20 feet was a figure in a white robe with dark long hair and a dark beard motioning me towards them. And as I got about as close as let's say I am to you, you know, about 20 feet, uh, I, I could see just pure white light radiating out of the eyes of this being. And I remember at that moment, I had this association, I thought, reminded me of like in the scary films when people roll their eyes upside down. Yikes. I don't know why I thought that, but you know, when you're a kid, you think silly things. And so at that point, that kind of broke the experience. I fell through the garden. I fell through the sky with clouds around me. And then I fell back in my body, which is the moment I knew I'd left it. And then I was in this, cold sweat shivering and hot at the same time and out of the corner of my eye I saw the same fig like a white chalky etheric energy material I now know it to be etheric material and I looked at the being and it was motioning me towards it and I and I turned and it disappeared mm. and then from that moment on when I woke up the next morning I told my father he you know validated the fact that he had the same experience 30 years before I did and then when I would walk around in my role as a child, I would feel the presence of these beings walking with me in this white energetic material that I would see out of my peripheral vision. And I would start to know things like I would know that they were my guides, but I didn't know what that meant. So I would know things on a certain level, I would have a knowingness while still experiencing it from an eight-year-old mentality. And so as I evolved and grew in age, that knowingness just kind of expanded and that connection to my guides the Ascended Masters, the Archangels, as I've come to know each and every one of them, which then took on another plot twist later. But um, as I started to know them, the knowingness kind of grew, and that became my own own self-educating mechanism, where the evolution of my intuition became the only school and education that I gained to do the kind of work that I do.
0: Mm, mm, Wonderful. Wonderful. And isn't it, uh, that's so amazing, because uh, right before the show the program started, we talked about what we can remember and what we don't remember. Right. And yet that is such a that. clear staple in your etched in your mind
1: that That has never gone away. everything else in my mind, honestly, a lot of memories intuitively my mind works very intuitively. So intuition at a certain point is how your mind is governed by intuition. So that you just don't have to do anything. But um, most of my memories of my life um, have vanished like as I sit with you, I really don 't have any recollection of even having a history before this moment, mm-hmm. and at the same time, that experience um has never faded, and it has always stayed with me just as clear and vibrant as it was the moment it happened oh my goodness that's it is, it's almost like when something like this happens and i can there have been many experiences of awakening that i 've experienced when something like that happens to you. It almost becomes the o- it almost it becomes the only thing you think about in a certain way. Hmm. So for me, it's it's not something I dwell on and, and I don't go through the memory of the experience, but the sense of what happened in that experience has it, really been never forgotten or anywhere else but in the forefront of my experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's such a pivotal moment in your life where yeah. it is it is reconnecting you to that realm, that spirit yeah. realm, and uh, your awareness. Now, did you tell friends, or were you, you know, yeah. did you always feel disconnected to a certain point?
1: I I told friends. I mean, I would say, oh, the, there's guides. Okay, so for example, I went to my friend's house the day after this happened to me, and I walked into my friend's house to play Nintendo, or whatever I was doing at eight years old, and I think it was Nintendo, and I looked at my friend's living room and on their wall, they had this big painting. And I said, oh my God, that's who I met in the garden. And my friend said, Matt, that's Jesus. You didn't meet Jesus. <laughs> and I was raised Jewish. So I really didn't know much about Jesus. And so I said, well, I don't know who he is. That's who I met. Cause that was the clearest, like, that's who I met in the garden, whoever this, that Jesus guy. And so that's the first time I was met. I'm, I was met with this exp- this experience of That's not, that's not the way it's supposed to happen, Matt. That didn't happen to you. And so for me, it wasn't like a rejection. It was almost like a, how odd kind of thing. And for, I can tell you my whole life, the strangest (laughs) thing I've ever experienced and still to this day is that it's so difficult when you are experiencing things that are as plain as day that other people don't see. And I can tell you my whole life and thank God this has been overcome that it's so easy to, to doubt yourself. Yes. Then to walk around thinking the world is crazy, like for me, I didn't even have, I, I, the ego structure that I had built up was a very insecure one So and because I was so empathic. So I didn't even have the audacity or the interest in even thinking that I knew something that other people didn't know. That, that was so foreign. It was so much easier for me to think I'm crazy and then I'd have experience <laughs> that would validate that what I know is true, but I could not even come to grips with the fact that I was experiencing something that other people could not perceive and then when I when I when I witnessed that, my life became dedicated to using my abilities to help other people access and experience what I've experienced, so that everyone can really experience the fullness of themselves. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And and all this time, your parents. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it sounds like your your father sort of has a bit of a through line. If he had the same experience as you did, so there was a there was an understanding, already. Yeah. Um, but. As you grew up from eight years old into those brilliant teenage years oh, yeah. <laughs> where Ooh. you're still in the physical body and the hormones are going. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> that's, when you, that's when you really get well-seasoned an ego.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, that balance, that, that fine line of balance that you had to go through, yeah. um, boy, I'd love to interview your parents to see what they went through at that time.
1: Well, you know what's interesting is I didn't have any kind of balance. I had a regular teenage upbringing in the sense where I developed an ego structure. I, you know, imagined needs and project those needs onto the approval of others. I sought the approval of others, you know, at sixth grade, discovered the joy of, you know, boy meets girl and, oh, wow, attraction. (laughs) Wow, I'm attracted to these you know to women and everything's so beautiful and you know it was such a you know, when you're when you're a kid, you discover attraction and you discover connecting with other beings and it's 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 quite interesting and and of course we all go through our ups and downs with that like any good sitcom or show will show us but um I didn't have any kind of balance what I had was going through every experience that everyone had. And I would at the same time have regular conversations with the ascended masters and archangels. Mm. Oftentimes, they would give me choices about here's what you can do in this situation. They'd even give me their advice. And sometimes, uh, many times, I wouldn't take their advice because I wanted to find out for myself so that I would learn. Mm. So I would almost like, I would know the highest truth. I would know this is the choice to make. But I wasn't in it, but I knew also that no, I really want to make this choice. And so that after a while, you start to develop your own sense of discernment, because if you're going to be a being, it's just going to listen to the wisdom that comes through you. That's one thing, but it doesn't necessarily bring you into a living reality of what you're transmitting. It almost just makes you just like this plug in, you know, ATM machine. So for me, it was really important, I think, to really have every experience, to have every sense of suffering, to feel the loss and heartbreak of, teenage love and to feel the longing for wants and desires and to feel the abject disappointment and to be misunderstood and to get caught up in, you know, all the drama that, <laughs> that eventually when you wake up out of it, you become one of, the, you become a great catalyst to help people through it. So for me, in my teenage years, I, you know, I, I went through every experience and I'm really glad I did. Because now in my life, I can live in a place where I don't have to play those things out anymore because I've already completely exhausted that and learned from it, which then allows me to um, not only have such a peaceful life, but really just to be of service to others, which is really my only intention of being here is to be of service to others. Mm
0: -hmm. And um, so when did you start uh, doing, I mean, I, I understand what you said about, you know, you come to a point where you want to heal everybody you want to help everybody but when <laughs> when did you actually sort of make the decision i mean did you did you do other work after you finished school and you graduated yeah. did you go on to college did you get a degree
1: you know that's a funny story okay so here's the funny story so i, I graduated high school having these experiences at that time i had got i was interested in working out and the first thing that i had manifested because at that time during my upbringing i was a very still a very short person, but a very short and um, slender or a small kind of guy. And I remember when I was about a junior in high school, I I started getting into working out and um, I didn't know I was manifesting at the time. But the first thing I manifested because I just was so sick and tired of being the smallest person in school for some reason. And I and within eight months, I went from like 98 pounds to 165. And I became like this bodybuilder guy and benching like 300 pounds and I was doing some really incredible things. And I didn't know that I I was using my abilities to like will myself into this uh, position. And so I, I had become a, like almost like a bodybuilder. Uh, <laughs> I became a, I became a certified personal trainer. And for many years I was a very successful personal trainer, just helping people on a fitness level. And at a certain point, and then, okay, as I was a trainer, I spent two years in college um, and That There was a certain point where I knew intuitively this is not the direction for me, that life is guiding me differently, but I didn't know what to do. And so then the message started to intensify, and it literally became a point where I couldn't actually physically drive to school without falling asleep on the freeway. And so I really got to a point where my body shut down going to school to show me to go in a different direction. So I I declared the universe my university. I quit college after like a year and a half of being there, and... Hmm. Then I started to train full-time people in the fitness realm. Um, I was injured in a uh, helping someone, you know, spotting someone lifting weights. And it wasn't even the biggest deal. It was like almost like someone went to drop something and I ro- I reached out and I caught it. And just that little reach, I felt something and I thought, oh, th- something just happened there. Just, just Like one of those freaky little, you reach, you know, not even like a really really good story just like really just an unimpressive reach and i felt something and then it turned out i had two bulging discs oh um, wow yeah i mean that and all of a sudden i was incapacitated completely um meanwhile for all this time i'm just every day meeting with the ascended masters and archangels meeting different ones, talking to them using my abilities to hear see and feel to learn how to use my gifts while having conversations oh this is archangel michael this is no jesus mother mary okay and just you know for me i was so open that it just I went with it mm-hmm. and when I got injured, I was injured for about a year and a half. I was, you know, going through epidural shots and just, you know, really wow. just, just really a intense amount of pain. And I remember at that point, um, I actually cut a deal with the universe and I said, if you help me, show me how to heal this, I will help. I will, I will do the work I'm here to do and help others and I will change my life and, and surrender it completely. And so within that conversation, within a day and a half, my back was completely healed. And then I started, then I had this, then I, it was funny, I had this really weird intuition. Like sometimes you just get in the car and go somewhere. And I went to a spiritual bookstore and then I was guided to talk to the person that ran the bookstore. And, uh, then all of a sudden I was guided to out of nowhere, start giving people messages. Like I would, when I'd be in the grocery store or something, And I I would have this heart pounding, almost palpitation or anxiety, Mm -hmm. like if I don't stop and tell this random stranger, this thing that's coming to me, that's so overwhelmingly true, then I'm going to, I'm going to just have a heart attack or something. So I would stop, (laughs) I was guided to stop random people and say, Hey, this is going to sound totally crazy, but I'm being guided to tell you, um, your, the, your brother who has passed away gives his regards from heaven and has this specific message for you. And every time I would do this, I would not know what I was doing, but it was just flowing through me. And then when people would resonate with it, I would almost be as astounded as they were because I was watching it unfold as they were. And so as I was guided to keep going around, giving messages out randomly, and I had no idea this is what I was going to do, then I'd go to a spiritual bookstore. I'd give out a message. The person at the bookstore would ask, do you want to work at our psychic fair? Okay. Um, you know, and then I'd hear a voice. say, say, yes. Okay. Yes, I do. And, uh, it was almost like I was in the middle of this really cosmic improv game. And then I would—I was at this psychic fair and I was giving messages. And then someone says, "Will you, do you do sessions?" And then the voice said, "Say so yes, yeah, yes, I do." <laughs> I don't even know what the session is. And so, yeah. you know, I, all of a sudden, I started doing the work using my intuition to help people to heal uh, all areas of their life. And yet, I never knew what I was doing. Kind of like if you stepped up to the plate to hit a ball out of the park, and every time you step up, you totally hit out of the park, but you still have no idea how you do it. Right. So I was even for like years after doing this, and I, I thought, okay, well, this is what I'm here to do. I'm an intuitive, and, you know, I told a lot of people in my life, and, you know, I sometimes I got to look from people like, oh, I'm that guy. I'm, you know, Matt's become a crazy guy, and, okay, I'm that guy now. And uh, I thought I'm either going completely crazy or I'm onto something. And so all I knew was, it wasn't like I thought, oh, this is my life purpose, or this is a really noble thing to do. For me, this is the only direction I was headed. And this is the only thing that made sense. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I did anything else, it just didn't, it didn't feel like there was a flow or it just didn't, it didn't, it just didn't feel good. So this almost became the only way for me to go. And I started doing all of these sessions and, bringing through the energy of different Ascended Masters and Archangels and connecting people with their spirit guides and really just being a fully functioning intuitive. And then one day I had this experience where I went into what's called the Akashic Records, which a lot of times Mm -hmm. I'll just consciously go into a different dimensional space. And I met with the Ascended Masters of the Akashic Records, which looks like the Lincoln Memorial. And with Mm -hmm. the white pillars, and there's a big light table. And all the Ascended Masters were there standing in front of the table like waiting for me. Now, is, I kind this, of, is this during yeah. a
0: meditation or, or something? Or?
1: Consciousness. Everything Every... I do is conscious. So as I'm talking to you, I can also receive messages, have visions, and have things come to me. So some right. people have to go into meditation to connect. Right. One of the things for me is I found out that I was naturally connected. The message a lot of intuitives would tell me. Was, and, and the other strange thing, by the way, is that I would meet other intuitives who were trained formally. And nothing that they would share with me made sense to me. Hmm. And they looked at me and they said, you can't be connected 24 hours a day. You have to keep like shutting it off. And I just kind of thought of that like, I don't want to be like a spiritual 7-Eleven. I want to be like a spiritual 7-Eleven where we don't close down ever. (laughs) And honestly, because of being a very lazy teenager, I found it to be so incredibly energy consuming to have to like connect and disconnect. And my thought was it might be difficult to stay open. And people have been had been telling me when I was younger, like that's. That's going to be a very difficult path, and I just thought, well, that's just that that to me was the only alternative. I did not understand the idea of connecting and disconnecting, and of course, when we start to see that that becomes something that the ego tries to control, now I realize why it didn't resonate with me and so when i when I go when I travel to different dimensions, when I speak with guides, when I speak with other dimensional beings, when I receive information, it is in the waking state, my eyes are open, it is whether I'm washing dishes, whether I'm sitting down, watching TV, in the midst of anything, everything's always coming through, and I'm always aware of both that's happening. Mm. So I went into this Akashic Records felt all these beings, and I, and I walk up, right? Here's Matt coming up, all these ascended masters, and they said, we want to show you something. And they lifted up their masks of their face, and they were all me underneath. And I had no idea what it was, what that even meant, but I gasped because I don't even know why. And then they said to me, which I would say to you, for the experience, if you right now were to go into the past and visit yourself as a child, the child you wouldn't see you as its evolution. It would see you as everything it's not. So it could only perceive you as a celestial being or a guide or an angel. And so they said to me, we're not only what you're becoming, we're what you've already become. And we are here stepping back in time to visit ourselves in spiritual childhood. So it's at that point that I knew that the guidance that I was receiving that we call spirit guides or angels are just various aspects of our own future self. And as we awaken to that being what we already are, that which perce- seems to be up ahead as the future self becomes the embodied self that you are in this moment. And it all comes into unison.
0: Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. So yes, Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, you go, Matt.
1: (laughs) That's that's been the journey. And so now in this embodied presence of that which has guided this journey and that which guides the journey of others, to not only see that that which comes through as guidance is what I already am, Mm -hmm. and then to also perceive that which I am is already what you are and to actually be able to see the vibrational presence that simply appears to decorate itself as christine or matt or world Mm -hmm. and to experience life as that undivided presence that inherently doesn't have a name or a history and yet dances in the decoration Mm -hmm. of name and history is is the way my life has unfolded um in a very auspicious direct way Mm -hmm. so wonderful
0: and uh now that you are a grown man yeah with uh nephews and, and, uh, you know, your family is uh, expanded around you. Sure. What, what do your parents think now of what you're doing?
1: I mean, they're, they're some of my biggest supporters. My, my, my parents have received my guidance. Um, on one occasion, I, I went to my father and I said, um, I don't mean to alarm you, but, um, there is a blockage in the arterial wall of, of your, of your calf muscle, like near your leg. And I said, you have 20 minutes to get to the hospital. And I said, I'm not trying to alarm you. And I would never want to keep this information from you. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out to be a false alarm, Hey, I'll pay your hospital bill. Right. <laughs> Cause I was just so, it was such a panic that came through me. And then he went to the hospital and at the 20 minute mark, he suffered a mild heart attack and they found a blood clot. And so, um, that was a life-saving moment uh, where I'd help my father. I helped my mother heal through uh, cancer. So, I mean, but aside from directly helping my parents' journey on a soul level, uh, they have been some of my greatest supporters and continue to cheer me on. And whenever I go to L.A. to visit them, it's just a pleasure to see them. And at the same time, um, I prefer the weather and the cold of of Seattle. So Mm -hmm. I I love and You know, L.A. twice, uh, two days at a time. (laughs)
0: Now were you raised here in Los Angeles?
1: I was raised in uh, Torrance
0: Ah.
1: South area but I spent time in Santa Monica and um, but I was raised in the South Bay and um, spent most of my life in that area and then about eight years ago I moved to Seattle and have been you know in Seattle but of course traveling the world and uh, having such great adventures but primarily you know I, I live in Seattle and I love traveling everywhere and seeing such different cultures and experiences. But um, for me, there's nothing like coming back to Seattle. Even when I land, I can actually feel the atmospheric energy shift. I just feel like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I'm home.
0: That, that's something about the Pacific Northwest, because that's where yeah. I was raised as well, on the Canadian side of the border. So it's, um, there is a, a beautiful, energetic calmness. To that part of the world. And I, I can agree with you about that. I just wish it didn't rain as much. That's all. But, you know, the rain comes, the beautiful trees and the greenery and that energetic level that I'm sure, you know, helps to ground everyone.
1: Well, um, I moved here for the rain. I moved here because it rains that much. And if it rained every single day, I would be totally happy. Oh, wonderful. And you're <laughs> in the perfect place. <laughs> A lot of people have that, you know, that that connection to the sun. I actually don't. Not that I don't like the sun. I'm I'm not really comfortable in extraordinary amounts of heat, especially if it's humid heat. I remember when I went to India, uh, it was so humid and and hot. And you know, it's just something you have to really get used to. But I prefer cold, gray weather. I prefer wearing layers. And if it rained every single day, I would be, you know, I'm just elated.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. perfect for you then. That's a perfect, perfect place perfect for you up there. It is. <laughs> so, now that you've you've come this far and you're traveling all over the world, you're yes. you're you're and you're, you're doing retreats. So, yeah. so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your one-on-one sessions of course, is is your one-on-one and you do readings for individuals? And you do this also via the phone, is that correct?
1: Yeah, through uh, Skype or phone. I never was taught how energy is supposed to work, so I always knew. I always assumed well, I could connect energetically over the phone. And I, you know, as an empath, I can get on the phone with someone, and just in the sound of their voice, I I start to get information, and I start to feel what it's like to be in their body. I can read their uh, what's programmed in their subconscious mind. I can talk to the cells, and so really to help, you know, the sessions I do is really. It's a couple different things, because when I speak, there's a transmission of energy that happens just in the sound of my voice. There's an energy that is absorbed into the field that creates a healing that takes place. Mm -hmm. So there's a healing that takes place just in the connection, uh, whether in person, over the phone or on Skype. And then the information I get is all very uh, intuitive. And then, of course, the dialogue or the experiences I'm guided to take them through is so that the exploration... Uh, of the session is primarily for me to be like a flashlight but for them to walk their own journey because it's one thing to go to a session and say I've gone through a healing and I feel much better but then but then the attention seems to be about the magic of the healer instead of the journey of your own soul's wisdom and for me it's all about helping people to have their own direct experiences so it's it's nice that I can share my experiences people can go wow there's a greater possibility but My interest is only in other people having the experiences they can have so that they know for themselves. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: So, so when you, when you do this, I mean, do you find that there's a difference between the phone or visually seeing someone on Skype as opposed to being one-on-one in the room with them?
1: For me, it's no different. For me, it's no different Um, for another person, for the person I'm working with, if they're very auditory or visual or kinesthetic, you know, it it could, some people prefer to be in person. Some people like the visual on the the Skype and, you know, some people, the Skype could be too intimate, so they like the phone. Um, I, for myself, have no preference. What I did notice is that in the beginning, when I started to do phone sessions, it was easier to connect energetically on on a landline than it was on a cell phone line. Then I had to learn how to adjust to the frequency of cell phone uh, frequencies, and then when Skype started up, that was a very strange frequency energetically. So I've had to learn how to adjust to the technology frequencies, and so now it's at a point where none of that really interferes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and really, it's it's just the preference of the individual whether they want it in person or some people like just coming, you know, like coming to the retreat settings. And um, for me, it really is no difference.
0: So now, how would it work in a retreat setting? Like, do you have a yep. limited number of people that you will accept in, during a retreat and, you know, uh, so that our audience will understand, you know,
1: sure. well, all I'm, the ways th- that
0: you do connect?
1: Well, I'm thankful. I'm thankful and grateful that in all of the ways that I've come to really understand and accept what is so un- in, in the deepest truth of my own journey has created an energy to which what is who is attracted to the work that I do and to do, and to the retreats and to the journey are those that are just of equal level of sincerity. And so, you know, for the number of retreat participants, it really is based on the capacity of the retreat center that I'm offering it at. So whatever the retreat can hold and and to um, accommodate in a feasible way is of course the limit because for me I want to be able to have as many as possible at a retreat. There are many different activities like in a 1-on-1 session I'm just addressing one person's life and in a retreat we're all taking a journey where we will address individual things but there's going to be many activities that bring us into direct experiences and then there's a Q&A period where I'm answering questions that come up during that so it's really guiding all these individuals into a group experience that is also at the same time simultaneously healing all individual aspects of themselves and of course what's being healed in one individual is being healed in all individuals because of The magical joy of unity consciousness so it's really the group setting that allows all individuals to come to enter and to exit more purified and transformed than ever before and the purpose for the retreat is so that people really give themselves like five days to really immerse themselves in this sometimes we have a session we go deep and then we return to our life and then our roles and responsibilities come and distract us and put us back into a space where we feel like I feel like I lost sight of what I gained from that session. So the retreat gives us five days to really go as deep as possible. And really, there are, there are so many people that come out of this retreat, I'm humbled to say, that are so completely transformed that their lives, they enter back in their lives living it completely different. And they actually return to their lives having it look already different because of how deep things have gone. And it's just very humbling to be able to hold this kind of space and to guide souls through this journey Almost as if in a way, the irony is when I was growing up talking with the Ascended Masters and Archangels, I, I would always say I'm going to the Angel Academy. And I was ah. in the Angel Academy. And so what I like to do is, Julie and I like to create retreats that give people the experience of the Angel Academy in the, way that I was in, in, in the way that I was guided. So I want people to have the kind of experiences and insights and profound awakenings that I had so that we all realize this is all, you know, my experience is all of our experience. Mm-hmm. My journey is your journey.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when you uh so during the retreats you don't have one-on-one sessions it's it's always a group setting
1: always a group setting and all the questions are asked in front of the group because what will come up for one will always trigger or create a a clarity in another and it it really is a it's it's a group dynamic and it's a powerful thing because not only is what a question that's relevant for one going to be relevant for another but then also the group itself is helping each other through the journey so it really creates quite a deep bond and i find that the the the, the retreat setting is almost a microcosm of the kind of humanity that's being created with the shift of 2012 so it almost gives people an experience of what it's like to live in a fifth dimensional humanity or society yeah. so Usually after the retreats, there'll be people that want to do one-on-one sessions and follow-up, and there's plenty of time for Q and A and direct interaction. But um, I think the, the 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 retreat setting is just a chance to go on a five-day spiritual adventure and to dive as deeply as you've ever wished to go. Mm-hmm. It's quite exciting.
0: It is exciting. It is exciting, yeah. and it's really interesting because I, I I still run into people today who um, who have always. Uh, Touched upon the meta, the metaphysics basically, and mm-hmm. intuition, etc. And yet, there's still I, I, you know, I, I I do believe in our time. It wasn't as hushed as you know, ten years ago or twenty years before, and etc. And today, I still run into people, even yesterday, who said, you know, do you believe in this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, oh yes. <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, and they said something told me you did. <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> you know." So, exactly. so it's like it's still out there where creating that awareness that you know people of like minds will come together, and and the retreat setting is so nice because yeah. there's an openness and people can learn in a group with each other. Whereas the ones that need to be a little more intimate still has that opportunity to uh, receive guidance.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the people that prefer to be intimate are some of the people that when they come to the retreat get the most out of it because they wind up stepping out of a comfort zone and they wind up seeing that a preference, a lot of times a preference, is just what keeps us boxed in and imprisoned Mm -hmm. into our own own sense of self, um, our own self-identity. And so I think a lot of times a retreat is a good place to try different things and to explore different things. So that, of course, our perspective can open and we can allow new experiences to be recognized. Because the reality is all of what exists already exists. And it's only being perceived in a way for those that are open to seeing it. So Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about, like, you know, we talked about metaphysics is that many years ago, metaphysics was forbidden. Right. Then it became then it became crazy talk. Then at a certain point, it became marketable. (laughs) <laughs> and, and now, thank God, now we are transitioning into the phase where it is becoming necessary so that it can actually go to the last phase, which is just reality. Yes, yes.
0: Isn't that one? And, and it is a, a very, it's a very interesting flow because I, when I was young, I was told, don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anyone about this. Don't share this with anyone because, you know, it just doesn't work. So for I was years, told same- were you told the same thing by your parents?
1: No, not my parents, but I was told by other people who were like intuitives. Like I'd go meet an intuitive who was, you know, I'm a working intuitive. And they'd say, don't tell anyone about this. And and that actually made me want to tell people. And then when people thought I was crazy, it didn't really faze me. But for me, my whole life, I've been told, don't talk about this. And that lit a fire of, I cannot keep this to myself. I I cannot keep my mouth shut because for me to sit back and again i've just talked about experiences of other intuitives and you know god bless them but, you know I, we all have our own journey but to sit back and go yeah you know we're we're all we we're, we're all intuitive in this little inner circle and these other people they don't know what they're talking about for me to treat the the world in, in what i feel is a disrespectful um and almost like a a, a judgmental way mm, that's ego it, it 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 for me, it, it never did anything but lit a fire in me to go out into the world and to not present this, not to present it like I'm gonna be the one that teaches you to believe in this stuff. My my willingness or my my path is to only use these abilities to bring greater harmony, peace, and freedom into your life, to only give you the gifts that help to bring your life into some incredible reality. Simply because my love affair of life is that I wish for every soul to experience the highest possibility um that, that that is possible for their lifetime. And when those things start to be recognized and experienced, then people start to open up to some other existence. But I'm not here to, you know, like prove a case for, for metaphysics. More mm-hmm. so I just want people to experience all that is possible mm-hmm. because it's so incredible what is possible.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 I, I'm I'm right with you on that. I love that. Yes. Um, you know, for those of you who are watching this show or listening, you know, you can ask questions of uh, Matt Kahn by typing it in in that little comment box on the screen. Or you can actually dial in and um, call in if you are listening by the phone. And we would love to bring in any questions and comments that you might have. Um so actually uh, some came up already, Matt. Would you like me to share those with you? Yes, how exciting. Okay. Um, how fun. A question here. Um let's see. How do you know if you uh how do you know if you know to follow your feelings or uh-huh. are they intuition?
1: Oh, that's a good one. So couple of different ways I can answer that. Usually an intuition is going to feel, is going to either produce a sense of peace, which we would call relaxation or excitement in your heart. So if it feels exciting or relaxed, always follow it. And you always want to follow it, not based on the conclusion or the outcome, but based on just how this opportunity or choice feels in your body. So you always want to use your body as your reference guide. So if it feels relaxed in your body, or if it feels exciting, the feeling that is present in your body during a choice is actually telling you what you're going to experience more of when you take that path. So we don't have to look at outcomes. We just look at how I feel. So I could, this is a funny story. So I helped a friend of mine, they were looking for a house and I just said, send me the addresses of the houses. I looked at the addresses and I just followed the body and one house specifically felt more relaxed than the others. And I said, This is the house I think is good for you. And then they went looking at it, and it turns out that was the one that fit all their needs. So, yeah. but, but, you know, more than just making it about, oh, Matt the Intuitive, it's more about, hey, all of us can just follow our feelings. And what usually happens is instead of following our feelings, we're following our ideas. Mm-hmm. And so ideas are bound by expectations or assumptions, they're based by needs and beliefs. Feelings are based on just what feeling is present when I consider a possibility. And so if we just consider what feels relaxed and peaceful or even exciting in our body, that's the direction we always want to choose. And we don't need to have any valid reason why. Because the whole adventure of this game is to not know why you're doing what you're doing, but just to follow the feelings of your heart and to have the trust and faith of knowing everything will always work itself out, even if in the immediate it doesn't work out the way you expected it to. So I think it's hard because a lot of times we want to follow our heart, but we say if it doesn't meet my expectation the first second, that means it's wrong. So we're almost... We're almost trying to rely on the wisdom of the universe by needing it to confirm the assumptions of ego. And that doesn't work at all. So I think really if we let go of our ideas, our assumptions, follow what feels relaxed or what feels exciting and not need to worry about why, not need to worry about how, and just start making every decision one choice at a time and let your life be the adventure that it was always designed to be.
0: Hmm. Now, what's interesting is um, when people speak on that, That realm basically of following intuition. Um, Matt, if you can share with us when when people get that feeling Mm -hmm. where you know it's it is exciting and it is wonderful, and the body does relax, but the mind is Mm -hmm. going, but if I do that, (laughs) you know, and it throws that the the for whatever might happen. It sure. throws everything into that, that realm of fear to go, well, that doesn't make sense because of course. the linear mind steps in and it starts sure. to work things out. How, what would you say to people going through that stage?
1: What I would say is that the mind itself is only a echo of past beliefs and assumptions. Mm-hmm. So the mind that steps in to act like it is a commentator or the voice of wisdom is just an echo of past beliefs and assumptions, which is saying, if you follow this intuition, you know, or or I could say this, when it says don't do that, it's because the echo of past beliefs and assumptions is basically saying, based on your past behavior, you have not gone in this new direction. So the mind appears to perceive something as a threat when there's just no recollection that it's ever been chosen before. So if you get a feeling of excitement, and the mind goes into a tailspin, that just means, well, all of this is just an echo of the past. It's just telling me all that I've believed before up to this point. And the reason it's in such a tailspin is because there's no, there's no memory. There's no tracing of me ever doing this in the past. And if I've never done in the past, then that's even proof of why I should do it. (laughs) So what, so I really say this, the, again, there's a lot of paths that talk about how to deal with the mind the best way to deal with the mind is to let the mind be, meaning it's an echo of past beliefs. Nothing about the past is going to actually help you in this present moment other than following your feelings. So if you find a sense of relaxation or excitement to follow that path, and there's a thought that says, that's not going to work out, it's just an echo of a belief that says, because of what happened to you in the past, there's a fear of not wanting to repeat it in the future. But that's not really relevant to what the heart is saying, so... My sense is we give more attention to our heart. The mind is just echoes of past beliefs and assumptions. And the more attention you give your heart, the more loving attention you give to life, the more you appreciate what's in front of you, the less your attention is spending up here, which means you're less likely to need to try to fix it, to clear it, to be bothered by your thoughts. And I think one of the most interesting points to make is on the spiritual journey, there's a lot of confusion. The confusion is we think the purpose is no mind. We should have silent mind, no mind. If we inquire deep enough, we'll actually see that all thoughts, all noise of the mind emanates as manifestations of silence. So the contradiction is you're trying to make your mind silent while not seeing that the that the mind itself is a manifestation of the silence. And the other thing is that the teaching of no mind is actually really no concern for mind. So I have no concern for mind whether it's noisy or silent. I have no concern for life whether things are up or down. I have no concern for things whether they seem seem near or far. No concern is because concern is what blocks us from being in relationship with the infinite care of love. In our society we've learned to entangle concern with care. So if I care for you, I'm concerned for you. And if I'm not concerned, I feel you know there's a sense of withdrawal. Where the reality is in a space where there's no concern, there's nothing but pure care for the well-being of all. There's no concern whether your mind is silent or not, or anyone is acting egoically or not. There's the sense of, I follow what my heart tells me to do. I embrace all with love. I appreciate all. And that whatever comes in my reality, whatever appears, is only reflecting to show me something that helps me step further into the full embodiment of my own mastery. Mm. And so it's really no concern, and no concern means I know there's always a bigger picture. there's no reason to be concerned by something when I know it's only a transition into something greater mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all care, no concern, all love for the heart, follow the heart, and you're not trying to have, you're not trying to convince your mind to be any which way. you're not trying to reteach your mind how to be more educated. you're not trying to have a conversation, win the approval of your mind. You're you're just here to notice that it's an echo of past beliefs, and then give more attention to your heart, and you'll wind up being more relaxed, and as you relax, your heart is given permission to open, your body is told how safe it is, and your mind naturally returns to the silence from which all noise emanates.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you, Matt.
1: You're welcome.
0: Yes. We um, <laughs> as we come and play in this realm. Play, play, I love play, I love play. We shall keep that in our life for sure. Exactly. Um, Jenna says, "Thanks, Christina. I love Matt and Julie. Um, Matt, how do we ride out these waves of energy that are coming to the planet right now? My sleep right. patterns and emotions are out of whack. <laughs> and seem to flare with the solar flares. Suggestions yes. for more peace and ease. Trying yes. to be patient and loving through it. Uh, we, I, a lot of people are resonating with you, Jenna.
1: <laughs> about five, I mean, I've gone through the Kundalini awakening f- many years. I think the first sign of Kundalini for me was when I was 12. Um, we went through it for many years, but off and on. But about five years... Uh, three years ago, let's say, I went through a period where I couldn't get to sleep till 3.30 in the morning and I would maybe get a couple hours sleep. For about four years, I was getting like two or three hours of sleep and then, you know, being up all day doing sessions and, and, and such. And I was at very disruptive sleep patterns, it's almost like what people are going through now. I kind of went through a couple years ago. Now I'm in a position where I go to sleep quite early and I wake up quite early. So it, it's it, it, these things will shift for all of us because if it's, it's not really. It's really where we are in the individual journey, kind of like where the character is from chapter to chapter. Mm -hmm. During this stage, what's happening is that the kundalini energy, or we could say the energetic body, is waking up, so the chakras are opening, and as the chakras are opening, all the cellular debris that's been held and encoded in the body is being pushed out of the field while the new energies are being downloaded and integrated. And so what this is causing is a large amount of integrations During integrations, you have to think of yourself like a computer, like when you're downloading a new computer program, you can't surf on the Internet without it being really, really slow because the computer is telling you all the energy is going to the download. So in the same way, our exhaustion is the body's way of telling you our priority is using this life force energy to download and integrate, to release what's here to be released and to download the new frequencies and upgrades that brings you into full living resonance with, you know. The new you 2.0 or whatever, the new version of you. And so when you find yourself exhausted, that's life saying you're not going to be doing as much efforting today. You're not going to be getting a lot of things done today. You know, kind of like a fifth grader, you wake up and go, I'm not going to school today. It's one of those days, And you kind of have to call it a day and you wrap yourself in a blanket. You nourish yourself. You watch some funny movies. Um, or you do, you know, I always instruct people with the, I love you practice where you just sit for a minute and do I love you's a silent stream of, I love you's to your heart, or you can do it for 10 minutes at a time. Cause when you do the, I love you's, you're permitting your heart to open and to release all the cellular debris that needs to be healed, which is then helping the integrations happen faster. Mm. So trying to be patient is not going to work because then we're using the ego to try to do something correctly on a spiritual level, which is why it's not working. Cause the ego doesn't play a role in this process. In fact, the only role ego plays in the whole evolution of awakening is the ego is, is, is the aspect of ourself that, that we experience the disappearance of. So the ego's only job is to disappear. Um, and our job is to love our heart, to relax the nervous system, to allow what's here to be released, to purge out, so that what's downloading can integrate in a more efficient way. And that really the only way to survive these shifts or to endure these shifts is to survive them and to relax into it, kind of like if you think of this shift like a hurricane, the more you relax and surrender into it moment by moment, the more you start to go from the outskirts of the hurricane where everything gets ripped apart. And you start to move into the center where the eye of the hurricane, where it's completely still and silent. Mm. So you actually have to relax and dive completely into it so that you can actually experience um, the truth of it. And at the same time, It can swirl around you, but at a certain point, you remain completely unaffected by it. Mm. And the I love yous is the way in which this transition becomes the most loving, gentle, and heart-centered way. So we would just sit and say I love yous to our heart slowly, constantly for a minute or 10 minutes or a half hour. And what you'll start to feel is everything will relax. You'll start to feel things lift out of your field. You'll start to feel yourself come into a state of integration and this is just what we go back to whenever we feel this way.
0: Mm. Yes, I think we don't say I love you to ourselves enough. Oh, of course not. This fast-paced world right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> fast-paced world, we're all we're all in a hurry to go nowhere.
0: Isn't that amazing? It's like we're in a hurry and just stop. Take a breath. <laughs> yeah. I love it's that so- saying, smell the roses. It's okay. Oh,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, We have a comment uh, from Joan. Yes. Uh, What do you think about the scale of enlightenment? Mm -hmm. Stephen Sadler talked about some way of measuring at what level of awakening or enlightenment mm -mm, Mm -hmm. you've achieved. Yes. If someone were to attend one of your retreats, do they often become more enlightened? And how would I know that I am when I am?
1: It's a very good question. So the first thing I would say to that is this. Okay, so enlightenment. So there is the experience of awakening, which is the realization that you are the seer of all that is seen, and there is a spontaneous realization that that which is seeing that you see does not reside in a body while it experiences a body. There's a sense of you are seeing all this, but but your sense of self as being local in a body or in a world disappears. So it's almost like you become the witness, or you realize yourself as the witness, and you experience body, but the sense of attachment to body and world disappears spontaneously. Um, so that's awakening. Now, after awakening, usually what happens And everyone does it in different orders. The way I guide people, I guide people in a very specific order. Then usually people have an awakening experience. Then it closes back down after a certain period of time. And they feel like they lost it or it went away. And usually what that means is when the body shuts down and we go back into the way things were, the body is saying you have not released the cellular memories out of the body to maintain and embody this realized state of being. So now we do the I love you's and we do a lot of different work to release the cellular debris out of our body, to relax the body out of what's called the overstimulated nervous system because the only thing that keeps us going back into ego is the body's remembrance of the overstimulated nervous system. Mm-hmm. When the overstimulated nervous system collapses back into its natural state, the heart is naturally open, the mind is naturally silent, consciousness is naturally expanded, and we realize that enlightenment has and always is our natural state of being. The perception of people that want to or that 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 want to qualify the grades of enlightenment is that what will qualify the grades of enlightenment puts us into a very egocentric perception about enlightenment, and mm-hmm. the rule of thumb about enlightenment is that you're only going to perceive someone as a reflection of your own true nature, mm-hmm. so we we're, we're all naturally born awakened, we're all naturally enlightened. But we are here to realize and fully embody the natural way of being that we've always been, even though we haven't recognized it and brought it into our experience. So to measure the levels and degrees of how enlightened you or I am is overlooking the fact that you are a reflection of what I am already. And so to to see someone as being not as enlightened. Is a reflection of our own judgments about that subject matter, and to see someone who is radiant and beautiful is only a reflection of how open you are to letting in what is only a reflection of your own true self
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the, the the idea of measuring on one level makes sense, and we want to measure and rate our progress and how far am I from enlightenment almost like we would do in an academic setting at the same time, that's exactly how an ego perceives its journey. And so then the whole journey of waking up out of ego becomes a new egoic fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately the idea of having, being able to measure this does not really work in that type of linear way. At the same time, there are very, very clear characteristics of when we're in ego, when we are open. And yet all that tells us is when our nervous system is overstimulated, which just acts as a reminder to go back to the, I love you. So I think some of that conversation is well-intended as it can be. It can be a little limiting because it creates expectations and it creates this idea of getting somewhere where all we're really doing is we're going here, but we're just opening up to seeing what's here in the most pure and clearest way. Mm. So it's almost like we take an entire lifetime to see what's always been here, but in a way we never saw it before. Mm. And so... When people come to the retreats, it's, it's not with any promise of anything, but if you are sincerely drawn to what is being offered, you are guaranteed to have the kind of life changing shifts that is only your own sincerity, drawing you closer to the truth you've always been. Mm
0: -hmm. So. Wonderful. Wonderful. So ah, as we breathe that in, yes. Yes. I love that. Very nice. Um, (laughs) um, Lee has a a question. Yes. How can we deal with resistance to what is? Thanks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a very interesting question because there's a lot of schools of thought that address resistance to what is. The way I look at resistance to what is can be a little bit of a different way of looking at it because... The first thing we want to look at is, does resistance to what is change the fact that what is happening is already happening? And so what we kind of start to do, which becomes kind of a little more humorous and silly, is that we see that what is is occurring, and then resistance to what is happens after that. And so that no amount of resistance to what is can change the fact that what is being resisted is already occurring, which already starts to show you how limiting resistance is. I mean, how powerful can resistance be when every time it shows up and shakes his fist at something, it neither prevents it from happening or can make it go away. So it's a pretty limiting energy. So what tends to be a a very big misunderstanding is that people are are, are, are going from resisting what is to trying to not resist what is, which is actually just reframing the same misperception. Instead, It's actually seeing that the resistance to what is is only a judgment about how we are labeling what we perceive as what is, and that we're actually judging and misperceiving what is happening in a way that causes us to resist what is happening, that neither makes it go away, neither makes it change any faster or slower than it's meant to change. And so the irony is we realize I'm only in resistance to my own judgments, labels, and perceptions of things. (laughs) So I'm only in resistance to my own erroneous storytelling. And so what happens is we're not trying to get beyond resisting what is. We're trying to see that we're only resisting what we suggest about what is. And the only way to see through that is to see if what is happening knows anything about what you're saying about it. So if something happens and you say, this happening means that I'm no longer a nice person or a good person or I'm not being validated. Does anything that's happening know that about you? No. So nothing that's occurring knows anything about what you're saying about it, which shows you that resistance is just an imaginary story made up about what is happening that has nothing to do with anything other than what is unfolding. So we're not trying to overcome resistance. If anything, whenever resistance is present... We look that as a reminder to stop and send some I love yous to the heart, as if every time there's a feeling of resistance, it's just the memory of that part of you that remembers not being loved when it wasn't acting appropriate. And it's there for you to love the resistance so that you can love all parts of yourself unconditionally. And so we start to see resistance is just how disobedient aspects of ourselves crave love and attention and approval Mm. without having to live under the obedient structure of societal rules or what have you so when a resistance arises it's not wrong because if anything we're just in resistance to our own ideas of things Mm. our own conclusions and instead of being in that game at all oh resistance is here it's time to stop and send i love you to my heart as if you're going to resist at the very moment it's time to love yourself and if other people are resisting you or resisting themselves, send an I love you to them. And so inevitably resistance reminds us to love.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now now, what if an individual
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, the sense would be the resistance is an intuition that's stopping them? You mm-hmm. know how that, that play that starts to happen in a lot of us.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say that there's a belief that we have the personal will to somehow get in the way or interfere with the divine will of the universe. And what happens when you awaken is you start to realize the thing that you called your personal will was only the divine will playing in form, pretending to be a person that you call yourself. So if anything, what we let go of is the belief that you can actually do anything to get in the way of the living perfection of divine order. Mm. As if you can get, get in the... Now, here's the funny thing. So what is going to happen is going to happen, and it happens in all infinite dimensions, and we learn how to eventually access all the infinite nuances that are happening. You can't get in the way of what's already happening. You can't get in the way of universal flow. You can't stop it. It's like a little child standing in front of the ocean trying to say, I'm going to keep the wave from crashing. Good luck. Right? That's not going to happen. At the same time, your role as a soul is the cosmic gatekeeper to the kingdom of heaven. And your only job is to open the gate of sincerity and keep it as wide as possible for this divine will to flow through that you can't control, to let it flow through in an unobstructed expression. So the idea that the resistance is going to keep me from making a choice and decision that I was meant to make... Is kind of perceiving ourselves existing in a fallible universe mm. that is already showing us that we're just perceiving things from an overstimulated nervous system, which would just be another sign to stop and love the heart because you cannot interfere with divine will because your personal will is that divine will just being, you know, believed to be something personal or separate from divine will. Mm-hmm. Like the, like the, like the wave that says, I don't want to crash too loudly or get too big because I might drown the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and yet the ocean is playing as the wave, including the thought that delusionally says, I don't want to get too big because I don't want to drown the ocean, says the ocean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Now that is fun.
1: <laughs> so we're we're I, the ocean. We're yeah. the ocean, playing as waves, waking up to the fact that we're the ocean. And when we w- realize that we're the ocean, we just enjoy the play of waves even more right. from a very conscious perspective.
0: You can keep splashing. It's okay. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what waves are for.
0: <sighs> Wonderful. Um, Elizabeth uh, yes. is asking, I do believe, Matt, is there anything I need to know uh, about my sinus infection and what is causing it, and what can alleviate it. Is there anything of a specific or general nature that I need to know at this time?
1: Hmm. Interesting. What comes to me about that would be uh, actually some sort of nutritional influence, and so I would recommend the person. Hopefully, if they're if they're not eating like a gluten free diet, or if they're having any kind of wheat or flour. You know, white flour, wheat kind of stuff. I would just say stick, stay away from white flour and wheat kind of products and see if it kind of clears up. People traditionally always say dairy, but my sense was really almost like uh, kind of gluten or wheat or white flour kind of an interference or uh, causing, causing more of an inflammatory state that is manifesting in the sinus area. Um, at the same time, on a spiritual level, that would be more of a nutritional physical level. On a spiritual energetic level, I would say that the practice would be that everything that comes to you is to be wholeheartedly trusted as the guidance of the divine and that the that the the need or tendency to go between is this right or is this not or should I trust it or not, to alleviate that and just accept everything as the divine will of the universe and to trust it along with changing those mm-hmm. things nutritionally I think would clear that area up. Mm.
0: Well, there you go, Elizabeth. There you Talk go. With that, I understand with sinus infections and what they can do.
1: Bless your sinuses.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe. Pranayama. That will clear it right. up. <laughs> That's right. Um, Joan has a question. That's what right. do you think of Neil Dolan Walsh's book, Conversations with God, if you if you've read it? And uh-huh. what other books or bodies of work would you recommend for reading materials on this subject? Thanks. Okay. Oh, Matt's up and coming
1: book is what I would recommend. Yeah. <laughs> my um, book. Neil Donald Walsh is actually a, a dear friend of mine. Um, I was, I'm friends with his wife, and then, you know, they, they got married, as, and I had a chance to spend some time with Neil. I've actually um, participated in, and spoken at one of his retreats. Um, And I think he's just a wonderful, wonderful person. He's such a loving, loving being. And he and I always have such uh, amazing connections. So I really, I really like Neil. I I like um, his contribution to all of this. And I think it comes through in a very unique voice in a unique way. Um, And we've talked about a lot of things many times and, you know, it's, 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 we're, we're all basically transmitting the same truth at different frequencies and as different flavors. So I I really do like the books and I, and I would say that if conversations with God resonates with you, then I would take that as a good sign at the same time. And I, and this is not a, because, because it's, it's, it's hard to get into a conversation of what I think about certain material without it being just another belief that I really am not bound by. So, you know, if someone was resonating with a course of miracles or the law of attraction or, you know, Abraham teachings or, uh, Neil Donald Walsh's stuff, or even when they resonate with what I have to offer, you know, I, it is what you're resonating with that is calling you into being of service to help you at that chapter of your life. You know, if someone's at, like say hypothetically, chapter four of the spiritual journey and your information comes from chapter nine, yeah. it would be like it would be like a high school student going to middle school and going, You don't know what the heck you're talking about. It's it's a little short sighted because we all have our journeys and we're all at various stages of the one, one soul's journey. So I would say if that information resonates with you, if it feels good, the trick is knowing that the things that you learn from from in one place is not going to be carried over into the next chapter of your life. That once you learn something and realize something, that information becomes null and void. So I think what I what what I think is so much more important to talk about. Not the question is not valid. It is, but what I think calls out to be spoken about is not necessarily what book would I recommend. As I get ready to enter that field with my book, <laughs> which my book, by the way, is just taking the reader through the journey of awakening and the journey of realization step by step. It's just basically like me holding your hand through the journey of realization so that you can be the one that really starts to see in your own self. What I think is important to talk about is that it's so easy for us to read information that we then create conclusions out of, this, this author knows what he's talking about, this is the truth. And we, and what happens is, is that the gathering of, of written knowledge becomes a replacement for our own exploration. Mm. So I would say is if any information is keeping you from exploring on the deepest level, it's a distraction. And it doesn't matter who the author is. If, information has inspired your own deepest exploration it's done its job but if the information has caused you to glom onto it to repeat it to others and to defend its meaning by trying to renounce what other people believe in as if there's Mm -hmm. something true than something else then we have entirely missed the boat of writings inspiring us into deeper explorations in the same way finding a treasure map doesn't tell you anything about what you're going to discover it just shows you the way Mm -hmm. so i would say is spirituality doesn't have to include reading material it's just a reference point or it's an assistance to guide you in your own exploration but if the journey is not based on your own exploration of if if the journey is you being the rememberer or the salesperson of all the things you've read and learned from the past instead of inspiring you to see what only you can uniquely see for yourself, then the journey has been misunderstood. So to me, it's more important how we use the information that comes to us, what we get out of it, what inspires out of us, versus is this information better than this information? Can my spirit guide beat up your spirit guide? (laughs) You know what I mean? Is this teacher more enlightened? This teacher, am I more enlightened? This person, am I going to go to the grocery store and go, you know, there's only, uh, this line only allows for 12 items or less, but, um, I'm going to tell the checkout counter that because I'm fully enlightened, I'm allowed to bring 20. I mean, we, we kind of get really mixed up on this journey when instead it's about how deeply are you willing to explore and at the depth of your sincerity of wanting to know what's true directly for yourself, not to listen to other people's journeys, as beautiful as they are, but to take your own journey will start to attract to you the various teachers and guides that will guide you as clearly as your, sincere, as your sincerity is interested in going.
0: Mm-hmm. Nicely put, Matt. That's, that's really wonderful. I, I, I hear that a lot of, uh, you know, I have uh, many people around who have the time which I wish I had. One day I will that will come when the time yes. is where they are able to, you know, indulge in these wonderful writings and books and and I have seen that happen and I always say take whatever works at this moment because totally. when you tomorrow is a different moment and you know whatever happens and transitions in your life to that point you may be needing something else to support you to that next and that next opening and that next opening is like so many beautiful doorways.
1: besides, I mean, just to get back to the question, Neil Donald Walsh, right? Dear friend, love him to death, right? He listens and hears a conversation with God and writes books. I hear guidance and transmit information in the way that I do. Nearly the same thing is happening Right. And it's just being packaged in a different way because life is expressing itself differently. But let's look at the let's let's look at it in a, in, a, in, a, in a much clearer way. Instead of being so caught up in what Neil's bringing through and is this really God and all these kind of questions, if we look at it from an objective perspective, Neil's conversation with God began from the basis of him being willing to listen so if you only take away that if Neil's conversation of God came through from a deep place of listening then maybe if I practice listening deeper in all of my life maybe instead of trying to decide what I think about this or that I will then invite that same experience into my reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that to me is there there's a way we can see what what real what what the real depth of teachings offer us but we have to be willing to look through a different pair of eyes because it's more simple than how we often perceive it. And as soon as we get in this idea of, is this right, is this wrong? Yeah. Is this better, is this worse? We're already in an egoic tailspin that just reminds us to love the heart and to help wake back up out of that um, out of that trance once again. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And So necessary now to just take that moment to tell yourself that, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you know, I love you. you know, and it's even the with year that. of the dragon right now. You know, that that tail is whipping around. <laughs>
1: that's funny
0: you know so it's like take the time take the space and and breathe
1: so you're the dragon because everyone's energy is dragon right now it is
0: dragon those solar flares <laughs> are the are the flames that are shooting out you know from its nose
1: <laughs> so funny i again sometimes i feel sometimes i just have these days where it's just pure utter exhaustion at the same time it's just um where there is exhaustion even where there is anxiety which for me it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't feel like that but where there is where there where there is sensation like that there's just it's just a sign of how much change is really going on within us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet yet all that change is happening within a space that doesn't change at all so really we are in ourselves a mystery and i think what again gets overlooked in the spiritual journey as the spiritual journey can be very simple your whole your spiritual journey is your entire lifetime so you don't really get to a place of completion you just get to a very deep space of being able to see it from a very large perspective or clear perspective but the spiritual journey can be made to be very simple so first there's the realization that exists existence itself is a mystery okay existence is a mystery then we start to investigate ourselves and find out that there is a mystery within ourselves. And the realization is that the mystery of existence is what I am. And so we're not here to actually solve the mystery. We're only here to see that we are the mystery and to live as that mystery in the purest way. Mm.
0: Mm. Oh, God. mysteries are good. Yeah. Mysteries are good. I know. I, I keep, I keep me- messing up. Um, we have a show on <laughs> Tuesdays that we call the Magical Medical Tour. And I keep wanting to call it the magical mystery medical tour <laughs> because s- it it is a mystery. I mean, medicine is a mystery, It's all the alchemies and and how everything comes together. Well, so is life, you know. It, Absolutely. It's that and and we can all be the Hardy Boys.
1: <laughs> That's right. We can. We can all get in the Scooby Doo mystery machine van and uh, you know go have an adventure.
0: There you go, Indiana Jones. <laughs> exactly that's right love that no thank you so much matt this is i (laughs) hope it was as much fun for you as it was for for me and i can tell with the, the number of people listening in
1: it's been a blast i i love you know anytime i can share time with you and interact with all and and just be in this space of um exploration and discovery it's it's it's, it's what i dedicate my life to offering and it's it's the 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 greatest joy and honor that i've ever um had the privilege of experiencing so thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you Matt. Um Matt, if there's one thing uh before we go um that you would like to leave our audience with at this moment?
1: Mhm. Well, i, I the, what comes to me is just that If the spiritual journey leads you into the deepest place, it has to be the place where we begin. So where the journey ends has to be where the journey begins. And if the deepest reality that we can find is a reality of love, then if the journey ends in love, then we must begin with love. And so we... Experience these bodies and these worlds, and every time there's a reaction or a feeling, it's just showing us the exact time for us to stop and love ourselves. And that this journey does not progress at the rate at which we gain insight through reading or through even um, the, the mastering of techniques and practices, but at the rate at which we wholeheartedly learn to relate and love ourselves knowing that all the feelings we have in our body are just memories of all the times that we felt other people weren't able to love us the way that we thought that they could. Mm-hmm. And as we, as we pay back this emotional debt of loving ourselves in all the ways in which other people couldn't or that disappointed us, we learn to make peace with ourselves. We end the war within. We start to relax the nervous system. We, we start to perceive life in a much clearer way at a certain point, realizing that this clarity is the way it's always been Again, we're settling into the natural state we've always been. We're watching the disappearance of an ego that has never really been there outside of our imagination, and we're stepping fully into the emergence of the soul's reality that has always been the only existence here. So it's a, mir- it's a miracle, it's a mystery, it's a paradox, yet the only thread binding it all together is the invisible grace of love.
0: beautiful yes beautiful thank you so i i I, everyone should take a moment (laughs) at least a moment every day just to hug yourself and say i love you i love you i love you and
1: i love you really (laughs)
0: know it's to you
1: (laughs) and and you know what's really interesting is that through something called the law of one when you love your heart even once Mm. What love you offer your heart, you're offering all hearts throughout all dimensions, time and space. So all hearts get loved at once when you love your own heart, as if your heart exists in the bodies of all. So if you think about trying to help humanity, you're never going to have enough time to help everyone. But if you just love yourself through your heart, it's distributed to all. And at the rate at which you awaken and transform and radiate the purity of your light, it will shine out and eventually reflect back a society that is as clear, loving and awake as you are.
0: Mm. Beautiful. You have just you just destri- described uh, my emblem for this show, which is hey. the heart right in the middle of the tetrahedron. I love that. So it's like, oh, my goodness. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Matt, for your You're time welcome. and your love and your wonderful mm-hmm. gifts that you've shared with all of us today.
1: Thank you and, so much. And
0: uh, I hope that we can continue supporting your work and your book when it comes out we really look forward to that
1: thank you likewise and uh thank you for this opportunity and i look forward to connecting again soon
0: absolutely thank you matt and thank you everyone for joining us today as we spent this wonderful wonderful time with our gifted spiritual healer and guide matt todd
1: It was like that, but I was just uh, try to answer the question, and I was just trying to figure out how do I do that. And then uh, now it's now it's perfect. Now it's now I can uh, now I feel, now it feels normal.
0: Now you feel oh, you feel normal. Well, not really. A setting but, on a hair dryer.
1: Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's really funny. Normal is the setting on a hair dryer. You know what's funny is that the um, the same symptoms of uh, Alzheimer's are the same symptoms of awakening. So
0: that's interesting. Yeah. That's very, yes.
1: So that means that if you go and see some sort of guru in India who's saying things you don't understand, it might just be a misdiagnosis of Alzheimer's. And if you go into a home of Alzheimer's patients, you might meet a guru. So it's funny how we get these things that's mixed up.
0: That's so. That's hilarious. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I well. like that. I. It's like you see, Alzheimer's really not so bad after all. Not really. I. It. It's. You know. It's. It's. Um. The Alzheimer's uh, people that I've seen and, and had a lot of dealings with, <clears throat> it's funny how society puts a certain um, frame around it. Of course, as opposed to being in the moment with that individual, it's like of they see the the motor skills sort of um, being disrupted or being shifted from. And I have also said it's like a, it's like a, they're going through a stage of shavasana. Yes. You know, slowly. It's like they're releasing all these skills or so, quote unquote, skills and senses one at a time. It's like a, a shavasana that's just taking a little bit longer. Yes. You know, and of course, the medications and everything, they're so highly medicated. Sure. And I go, why are you doing that? <laughs> if a well, person's yeah. going to go through this this journey, allow them to go.
1: Well, I think because for such a long time, society has governed uh, or defined normal or functional by the structure of ego. And so the structure of society up until this point has always been trying to maintain normal or, or function to be the perfect mm-hmm. uh, embodiment of ego. And now that on the collective and individual level, the <coughs> structure structure of ego is falling apart because it's time for humanity to evolve and to uh, an awakened society mm-hmm. that all this is changing. So.